Good evening and welcome to the Spirit and Life Bible Study. My name is Jonathan. Our reader is Kara tonight. And our topic is Answers from the Word. Answers from the Word. I've been thinking about the fact that the high priest in the Old Testament actually had a kind of breastplate thing that had precious stones on it. And they would light up and give him answers. You know, not everybody had this technology, but the high priest had it. And he could give you answers to, to questions. And you could ask all kinds of things of this. Uh, sadly, as time went by, somebody lost the darn thing. And now we don't have it anymore. Uh, what, is the word something that can function like that? Is this an image of the word? And what sort of questions could you ask it? And what sort of answers would you get? So that's what we'll be exploring tonight. Uh, would you care to join me in an opening prayer, good friends? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you are the one God of heaven and earth. You bowed the heavens and came down into this world. We thank you, Lord, for being among us, calling us together in your name. We pray for insights from you. Show us your heart and your mind, Lord, as they are present in the pages of your word. Amen. Amen. Sending love out to those of you out there online and getting the audio and on the phone. And I want to explain that the last few weeks, which I should have explained before, I just depart from time and space. You, you, you can understand, good friends. But uh, we've had all kinds of backdrop things going on because actually behind me here, there's a curtain. Behind the curtain, there's a window. There was an old window. I think it was put in in 1928 or something. And it just got replaced, a gorgeous big picture window. And now it's been replaced by something that looks like it's back in the day, but it actually is not rotted, which is so exciting. You can't see right through the edges of it and everything. So it's really great. But there was all kinds of scaffolding in here and everything that, that uh, so now, now we're back to, back to normal if, if there's any such thing. Uh, so answers from the word. Let's start with this device that the high priest had. So if you can turn to the book of Exodus, in the Old Testament, it's the second one in. And I want to go to Exodus chapter 28. And we'll read a little bit in here about these vestments, these sacred garments that Aaron the high priest would wear. Let's just start at the beginning of the chapter there and then we can... Now take Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the children of Israel that he may minister to me as priest, Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. Okay, this is Moses' brother Aaron, and so Moses is supposed to make Aaron the high priest and his sons will be uh, other priests. And look and at you, verse 2. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron, and your brother, for glory and for beauty. That's right. And so they'd get people. Look at verse 4 down there. And these are the garments which they shall make. A breastplate, a breastplate. an ephod, ephod. a robe, mm. a skillfully woven tunic, mm. a turban, and a sash. So they shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons, that he may minister to me as priest. Okay, so these are going to be the priestly robes, and they're being revealed by God. Uh, and so it talks in verse 6 there about how they make the ephod. 
and uh, it's joint. It seems to be some kind of a, a vest, and it's joined over the shoulders. It's in two pieces, and it's joined together. And there's a couple of stones. Let's read about those in verse nine there. Then you shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel. Mm. So the, there were 12 sons of Israel. These are the 12 tribes of Israel. So you take two stones and you're going to sort of carve or engrave the names of them on these two onyx stones. Six of their names on one stone and six names on the other stone in order of their birth. In order of their birth. Yes. Okay. So... You'll have these six names on this stone, six names on that stone. Okay, and uh, then let's keep going down. It talks about how it's connected together. Um, look at verse 16. It shall be doubled into a square. A span shall be its length, and a span shall be its width. Uh -huh. And you shall put settings of stones in it. Four rows of stones. Aha, uh -huh. four rows of stones in this, um, this thing that's on the ephod. Okay. Uh, the first row shall be a sardius, a topaz, and an emerald. This shall be the first row. Mm. The second row shall be a turquoise, a sapphire, and a diamond. Mm. The third row, a jacinth, an agate, and an amethyst. And the fourth row, a barrel, an onyx, and a jasper. They shall be set in gold settings. Aha, uh -huh. tell me more. And the stones shall have the names of the sons of Israel, twelve according to their names, like the engravings of a signet, each one with its own name. They shall be according to the twelve tribes. Oh, well, here again. So you have twelve stones, and each one is going to be associated with one of the, the twelve tribes of Israel. Okay, and then it shows you how these two things will be connected and so on. We're skipping over a little bit. And look at verse 29. So this will all be sort of strapped on. There's this uh, sort of a vest, and then I gather it has a covering over it. And then there are these stones that are there. And uh, look at verse 29. So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel on the breastplate of judgment over his heart. Ah, that's very important. Over his heart. That's where to wear this. So, so this thing would go right over his heart. Mm -hmm. When he goes into the holy place. Ah, so he has to be dressed in a particular way when he goes into the holy place, which is part of the tabernacle. He has to be wearing this over his heart. Go on. As a memorial before the Lord continually. Ah. And you shall put in the breastplate of judgment the Urim and the Thummim. Oh, Okay. And they shall be over Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. So Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel over his heart before the Lord continually. Aha. Uh -huh. So it seems that the Urim and the Thummim, which are two Hebrew plurals, they literally mean the lights and the perfections, is a name for these 12 stones. So we just heard about the 12 stones. They're in these four rows of three. And then Aaron's going to be wearing these over his heart, okay, an interesting language that he'll bear the judgment of the children of Israel on his heart before the Lord continually. Interesting. Okay, and I want to tell you a little bit, let's turn to the right to go to through Leviticus to Numbers. In Numbers chapter 27, that doesn't tell you how it's used, it just sort of tells you a little idea of what it looks like, something about what it looks like. Then Numbers 27 starting at verse 18. 18. And the Lord said to Moses, 
Take Joshua, the son of Nun, with you, a man in whom is the spirit, and lay your hand on him. Mm. Set him before Eleazar the priest. Oh, this is the same Eleazar we just heard about, you know, the, the son of Aaron, okay? So this is a little later. This is Joshua now, and this is Eleazar the priest. Go on. And before all the congregation, and inaugurate him in their sight. Mm. And you shall give some of your authority to him, mm. that all the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient. Okay, and a drum roll here. Go on. He shall stand before Eleazar the priest, who shall inquire before the Lord for him by the judgment of the Urim. Mm. At his word they shall go out, and at his word they shall come in, he and all the children of Israel with him, all the congregation. Yeah, so what you learn from that verse is that this device that we just heard about, we said just make that, but we weren't told what it was for, is actually something, so when Eleazar is wearing this, then Joshua would be able to ask Eleazar questions. Should we leave? Should we camp here? And that thing that was over his heart with the stones, the Urim and the Thummim, would light up in some way and give him an answer. Uh, and that would, that would tell him what to do. And then Joshua would take that message to all the people. So this was kind of an oracle or something. You know, it was some sort of a, a device that would, where you could ask specific questions and get answers. Now, this is not often mentioned in Scripture. There are a few other passages that mention, but nothing that really reveals much about it, except I do want to go to um, 1 Samuel 28. There's a really crucial passage. So turn to the right. You go through Joshua, Judges, and Ruth, and you get to 1 Samuel. And I want to go back to chapter 28. This is a story that we've dealt with before in Bible study. Saul now has been king, and uh, Saul was great. He was glorious when he was younger. He was really amazing, but he's kind of gone downhill. He went sort of crazy. He tried to kill David a few times and so on. And, uh, and David had to take all his followers, and he's been sort of in exile, just living out in the fields and traveling around, trying to stay out of Saul's hair. And so uh, let's read these first um, verse from verse 3 in First uh, Samuel 28. Now Samuel had died, and all Israel had lamented for him. Samuel was a prophet, okay? All Israel had lamented for him and buried him in Ramah in his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the spiritists out of the land. Aha, uh -huh. so Saul had made a kind of royal decree that you've got to get rid of the mediums and the spiritists. He drove them out of the land. Okay? Then That's the, an important backstory detail here. Okay? Then the Philistines gathered together and came and encamped at Shunem. So Saul gathered all Israel together, and they encamped at Gilboa. Okay, the Philistines were ancient enemies of the children of Israel. They lived in the coastlands in the same part of the Holy Land. And here they are, they're, they're pitched, and, uh, you know, battle seems inevitable. Verse 5. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. Mm. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him. 
either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. Oh, okay. Now that's an important little detail. You see, the, so Saul needed an answer. Uh, and we'll look at other passages where people asked questions and they, it went a little better than this did. But what was interesting here to me is that he asked a question and there were three ways that the answer could have come. Could have come by dreams, right? But that didn't work. Could have come by the Urim, so the flashing lights could have told him something, however that works, could have told him something about it, or by the prophets. You see, there are lots of prophets in the Old Testament, uh, but they don't seem to have a device or something. They just say, the word of the Lord came to me. You know, this is what's happening. The word of the Lord came to me. That's what has to happen. And, and so the prophets, was an, they, they were another avenue of getting answers. And he inquired of the Lord, and the Lord did not answer him by dreams or the Urim or by prophets. So we've studied this story sometimes in the past in Bible studies. Great, great fun. Uh, Saul goes to a medium. Now he himself banned mediums. Uh, so he had to go in disguise. And so he reassured the medium, oh, it's okay, it's okay. Nothing bad will happen. Just dial me up Samuel because Samuel's dead now. He's in the other world. And so she obediently dials him up. And, um, and Samuel wonders why he's, you know, why he's called him up. So look at verse 15. And he recognized, you know, as soon as the woman described the, this man who come up wearing a mantle, he realized, it, it's Samuel, it's him. You know, he, he knew from the description. Now Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I am deeply distressed. For the Philistines make war against me, and God has departed from me and does not answer me anymore, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Ah, now, it didn't mention the Urim that time, but the prophets, it's not working, neither by dreams. Now, look at his situation. Samuel was the chief prophet in the land, and he's just died. So Saul is down one major prophet. You know, he doesn't have him. So he's called him up in the other world. You know, maybe, I mean, he was you know, someone important to him. So he called him up in the other world. Maybe he can get an answer from this. Go on. Therefore, I have called you that you may reveal to me what I should do. Yeah, this is, you know, this is his question. I've got the, the Philistines look very daunting over there. Vast army. Should I run away? Should I attack? You know, what, am I going to be successful? How's this going to go? What does Samuel say to him from the other world? Then Samuel said, So why do you ask me, seeing the Lord has departed from you and has become your enemy? <laughs> yeah, right. You really think you're going to get a better answer from me? Like you're going to be able to go through the back door somehow and talk to me in the spiritual world and I'll be able to solve it for you. And um, so he tells him uh, in verse 19, Tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. You're going to be killed on the battlefield with the Philistines. And Saul just collapsed when, when he heard that and they tried to get him to eat something. And, and the next day, sure enough, or two days later, whenever it was, he was on the battlefield and he and his sons were killed, just as Samuel had said. Now, okay, so Saul's, the text says quite clearly in verse 6 there, Saul inquired of the Lord. It says that, right? And the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by the Urim, or by prophets. And uh, when he recounted it to Samuel, he said, 
God is not answering me either by the prophets or by dreams. He's not hearing anything back. Uh, look, if you will, to First Chronicles. Okay, so let's turn to the right, First and Second Kings, and then you go into First Chronicles, and I want to get to chapter ten. Look at this. This is a commentary on that very story. Look at verse thirteen in First Chronicles ten. So Saul died for his unfaithful his unfaithfulness, which he had committed against the Lord, mm. because he did not keep the word of the Lord, and also because he consulted a medium for guidance. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, he was feeling pretty desperate because he asked everybody else. He couldn't get it. So he's, he says Paul was killed because he consulted the medium, even though what the medium told him was true. I mean, she did manage to bring up Samuel, and he told him the truth and everything. And look what it says in verse 14. But he did not inquire of the Lord. Wait a minute. You just said he inquired of the Lord and he didn't get an answer. And here it says he did not inquire of the Lord. Go on. Therefore, he killed him and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. Mm, wow. So I hear Saul protesting from beyond the grave. But, um, <laughs> but it's very interesting that... So from one scripture, it said he did consult him, but he just didn't get any answer. It's so interesting that another scripture would say he didn't ask. He didn't ask. Uh, in, the, in the spiritual meaning, when the prophet dies, you know, it's, it's because the per people have turned away from the Lord, like you're not hearing anymore, kind of, you know, that whole thing is dead. So the reason he's not getting answers is not, it's framed in the text in the first passage as though the Lord just wouldn't answer him. But the fact is, he wasn't receptive anymore. He's going to a, to a medium in, instead of using these, these normal channels. Uh, and that's partly why, the text says here, that's why he died. Like, that was the decline. And that's, that's um, why he died. And so in the meaning of the story, that, that's what was going on. Um, let's look at passages that worked out a little better with inquiring of the Lord. So go to the left, if you will, and go back to Judges, which is just to the left of First Samuel. Uh, Judges chapter 20, verse 18. Then the children of Israel arose and went up to the house of God to inquire of God. Uh-huh. They said, which of us shall go up first to battle against the children of Benjamin. The Lord said, Judah first. Now see, that's just great. I, I'm so envious of being able to ask a straight question and get a straight answer. You know, how great is that <laughs> to say, well, how should we do this battle? You know, who should go up first? And the Lord just says, start with Judah. Thank you, is that so hard, you know? Just ask a question, get an answer. It, it's so great. Too bad somebody lost the device. And uh, Judges 20, verse 27, what does that say later in that same chapter? Mm, look at verse 26. You get a sense of the spirit that they're feeling right there. Then all the children of Israel, that is all the people, went up and came to the house of God and wept. Mm. They sat there before the Lord and fasted that day until evening. 
and they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. Hmm. So the children of Israel inquired of the Lord. Uh-huh. The Ark of the Covenant of God was there in those days, and Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the oh. son of Aaron, stood before it. In okay, those so days. there's Aaron, Eleazar. Now there's a Phineas. You know, there's been a, a lineage there. So that's who's the high priest in those days. So the children of Israel inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I yet again go out to battle against the children of my brother Benjamin, or shall I cease? Yep. Straightforward. I mean, there's two pieces to the question, but should I do it or not? You know, should, should we stop fighting now or should we keep going? And the Lord said, Go up, for tomorrow I will deliver them into your hands. So nice, just a straightforward, you know, and it's not just a yes, it's yes, here's what you're going to be successful. You know, it's not just a setup and you're going to be ambushed or something. Here's, here's how it's going to work and you're going to be successful. That's so, so awesome. Um, let's turn to the right, go back into 1 Samuel again. Okay, 1 Samuel 22. I just wanted to show you that Scripture really does talk about, you know, it presents a... a so Saul got an unresponsive God, but that, that inquiry... You know, they got, an, they got a, a, a straight-up answer. 1 Samuel 22, verses 9 and 10. Now, this was David. You see, David was out there uh, roving around in the fields, uh, afraid of Saul. And what did he do? Look at verse uh, 9 and 10 there. Then answered Doeg, the Edomite. Am I in the right place? You're in the right place. Okay. Who was set over the servants of Saul and said... I saw the son of Jesse going to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub. Nice. <laughs> and he inquired of the Lord for him, gave him provisions, and gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. Ooh, so this is a report back to Saul that what did David do? He's trying to track what's he doing. Where is he? He's my enemy. What's he doing? And what he finds out is that David went to this place where he could inquire of the Lord. You know, he asked somebody who could inquire of the Lord for him, and he got food, and he got Goliath's giant sword. You know, when David killed Goliath, that, so that sword had been in the tabernacle ever since, and he got the giant sword. Mm. So that would shake up Saul to hear that David was inquiring of the Lord. You can imagine when you're out there, running around, then you get a chance of, hey, please, can you tell me, you know, like he needs to get, get some answers quickly while he's got a chance to, to get in there and uh, find some things out. Look at 1 Samuel 30, a bunch of these in these histories back here. Okay, verse 8. Oh, look at this, verse 7. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, Please bring the ephod here to me. Oh, the ephod, okay. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. Mm -hmm. So David inquired of the Lord, there you go. saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail, recover all. Now, the text does not specify how this answer was given. Like we aren't, you've got a thing with 12 stones in it. How did it say all that? That was very articulate, you know, right? 
uh, he, he inquired of the Lord and he got an answer. And the answer was quite specific to what he wanted to know. Yes, pursue him, you'll overtake him, you'll be successful, similar to some of the other stories that we've read. But how did that work exactly? How did this thing with the precious stones give that kind of answer? Second uh, Samuel, so just to the right, Second Samuel comes up, Second Samuel chapter 2. Verse 1, very interesting that it mentioned the ephod straight up there, you know, so you could see this is how this inquiry was going on. It happened after this that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to any of the cities of Judah? Mm. And the Lord said to him, Go up. David said, Where shall I go up? And he said, To Hebron. Yeah, now the first question could be sort of a yes or no thing but the second one is specific like he picks out a specific city yes go to Hebron and David goes there and he makes his capital there for seven and a half years before he moves into Jerusalem and um, so he, he gets to ask a follow-up question right he asked a question got an answer gets another question and gets to follow up again where, where shall I go go to Hebron okay uh, chapter five in there Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, here are the Philistines. Verse 18. The Philistines also went and deployed themselves in the valley of Rephaim. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Mm. Will you deliver them into my hand? Two questions, okay. And the Lord said to David, Go up. For I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into your hand. Don't know how it was conveyed, but somehow the, 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 it was conveyed to him. Yep. So David went to Baal Perazim, nice. and David defeated them there. And he said, The Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breakthrough of water. Mm. Therefore he called the name of that place Baal Perazim. Yes. And, and they left their images there, and David and his men carried them away. Mm. Keep Th going. Then the Philistines went up once again and, oh. de and deployed themselves in the valley of Rephaim. Oh, there they are again. Therefore David inquired of the oh. Lord, and he said, You shall not go up. Oh, you see, it's not just like the magic eight ball. There's only, you know, so many answers in there. You know, it, it's, it's responding to the circumstance. So he said the first time, Shall I go up? He said, Yes, go up. You know, you'll be successful. Second time. Well, here we are, same situation again. Philistines in the valley. What do I do? And he says, uh, don't go up. But what does he say? You shall not go up. Circle around behind them and come upon them in front of the mulberry trees. Ooh, it's good. It's good advice, you know. Mm. And go on. And it shall be when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the mulberry trees, then you shall advance quickly. For then the Lord will go out before you to strike the camp of the Philistines. Mm. And David did so, as the Lord commanded him, and he drove back the Philistines from Geba as far as Gezer. Yes, so he's so what does it say? These messages that he's getting are the commands of the Lord. You know, the Lord is saying, do this, do that, and, and he just does it. Wouldn't that be sweet to be told? What, wouldn't that be fabulous? Second Samuel 21, verse 1. Here's a kind of different question. A lot of those were sort of action questions. You know, should I attack? Will I be successful? And so, but here's a, here's a different kind of question. Look at verse 1 there in 2 Samuel 21. 
Now there was a famine in the days of David for three years, year after year. Mm, famine for three years on end. And David inquired of the Lord. Okay, so he, what is going on with this famine? And the Lord answered, it is because of Saul and his bloodthirsty house, because he killed the Gibeonites. How great to get an explanation, you know. Wow, we, you know, what's going on with this famine? Oh, I will tell you. You know, this is because of something Saul did. That's why this is going on. How great is that? So it shows you some of the range of what you can ask. Turn to the right to 1 Kings and go back to chapter 22, if you will. Uh, hmm. Oh, this is, this is a fun one. We might have to read this at some length here. Okay. Um, so Jehoshaphat is getting ready to go into battle. Look at verse 5. Also, Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, please inquire for the word of the Lord today. Okay. All right. Good. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men. Oh, okay. So this time he's not doing the dreams and he's not doing the Urim. He's doing the prophets. So he got 400 prophets. It's a lot of prophets. He gets the 400 prophets there. And said to them, Shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to fight, or shall I refrain? So they said, Go up, for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. Yeah. Now we've heard that message several times already tonight. Go up, you'll be successful. Is that a plausible response from the Lord? Yes, it's kind of response that he's often given. Uh, what does Jehoshaphat say? Jehoshaphat said, Is there not still a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? Curious. He got 400 prophets. He got a clear answer. But he says, Is there anybody else up there? You know, he wants to know. Can I get a, a second opinion? Is there a prophet of the Lord here? Interesting. Okay. So the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is still one man, Micaiah, the son of Imlah, by whom we may inquire of the Lord. But. But I hate him. There's always a problem, you know. Because he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. Uh-oh. <laughs> Well, I don't, yes, there is one guy, but I really don't like what he says. Okay. <laughs> and, and Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say such things. Mm. Then the so king they go and they get uh, Micaiah there, right? And uh, meanwhile, there's another prophet who comes in verse 11, and he gives him these horns of iron. And he said, you'll push the Syrians back with these until you've consumed. You know, the more prophecies going on. They even have props and everything. And all the prophets prophesy in verse 12. Go up and prosper. The Lord shall deliver it into your hand. So, verse 13. Then the messenger who had gone to call Micaiah spoke to him, saying, Now listen, the words of the prophets with one accord encourage the king." Please let your. Do you think word... that's why he was suspicious? When you get four hundred people, and there's not a single variation in the advice you're getting, do you think that's why he doubted it? Like, oh come on, you know, there's got to be a little range here, isn't there? Go on. Please let your word be like the word of one of them, and speak encouragement. <laughs> so the guy who you get what's going on, the guy who's the messenger to go get him is saying, "Come on in. We'd really like you to sign." 
you know, everybody else is on board. We just need your endorsement. Uh, that's good. That's going to work, right? Then the messenger who had gone to call Micaiah spoke to him, saying, oh, we already did that. And Micaiah said, as the Lord lives, whatever the Lord says to me, that I will speak. That's a good answer, isn't it? Then he came to the king, and the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead, or shall we refrain? Same question. And he answered him, Oh, listen to this. Go and prosper, for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of oh, the king. Oh, he says exactly the same thing the other 400 said. Amazing. So, what, how does the king react? So the king said to him, How many times shall I make you swear that you tell me nothing but the truth You're in the name lying. of the Lord? Micaiah says the same thing the other 400 said. And he says, How many times have I told you? Tell me the truth. Okay, go on. Then he said, and I don't know what he Oh, is now he here. shifted. This is Micaiah. Okay. And he shifts into a different mode of expression. So his first answer is, Go up, it'll be successful, you know? <laughs> but he just smells a rat. So, uh, and what does he say the second time? Powerful. He said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. Wow, okay. That's different, isn't it? An image like that. I saw all Israel on the mountains. They're scattered with no shepherd. That's, that's what I see, if you really want the truth. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let each return to his house in peace. <laughs> so, go on. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, <laughs> Did I not tell you he would not prophesy good concerning me, but I evil? I told you. I told you. That's what it's going to say. So awesome. Didn't I tell you? Then Micaiah said, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. Okay, here we go. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing by on his right hand and on his left. Okay, here we go. Now the Lord is on his throne and all the host of heaven is on his right hand and his left. And the Lord said, who will persuade Ahab to go up that he may fall at Ramoth yeah. Gilead? Who's going to talk him into being an idiot and going into this battle? That's who the Lord is looking for. So one spoke in this manner and another spoke in that manner. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. <laughs> the Lord said to him, in what way? Yeah, how are you going to do that? So he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. Wow. And the this Lord, is a setup, you know. I'm going to be a, a, a lying spirit in the mouth of all his 400 prophets, all going to tell him a false thing. And the Lord said, you shall persuade him and also prevail. Go out and do so. Therefore, look, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these prophets of yours, and the Lord has declared disaster against you. Now, Zedekiah, who was the one who had the props and was showing with the horns, said, you're going to be really successful. Look, you're going to push forward. So what does Zedekiah say? So Zedekiah, the son of Canaanah, <laughs> went near and struck Micaiah on the cheek Pow. and said, which way did the spirit from the Lord go from me to speak to you? Yeah. And so I have the spirit of the Lord. Which way did it go when it came out of me and went over to you? And now you have the spirit of the Lord. It's a very interesting little sort of petty thing, <laughs> along with a slap. Okay, what does Micaiah say? Micaiah said, Indeed, you shall see on that day when you go into an inner chamber to hide. Mm. Wow. Mm. So he says, yeah, 
you know, just, just remember this when you're hiding, you know, remember what, remember what I said. Mm. Keep going? Yes. So the king of Israel said, take Micaiah and return him to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, uh-huh. and say, thus says the king, <laughs> put this fellow in prison and feed him with bread of affliction and water of affliction until I come in peace. Ah, you see, if the prophecy's wrong and he comes back in peace, then he can deal with him in, in prison there or whatever. And what does Micaiah say to that? Micaiah said, if you ever return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. Mm. And he said, take heed, all you people. Mm. So the king of Israel... That was it. That's all all we need to read. But very, very fun story. So (laughs) isn't that amazing about (laughs) getting answers and getting wrong answers and whether you like the answers or you don't. It's just, it's a complicated situation, right? So in some of these stories, it's very simple. You pose a question, boom. Uh, but things are getting more complicated as the Old Testament unfolds. Look at 2 Kings right next door there, chapter 1. Look at this little story about questions and answers. First few verses of 2 Kings 1. Moab, <coughs> Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab. Now Ahaziah fell through the lattice of his upper room in Samaria and was injured. So he sent messengers and said to them, Go inquire of Beelzebub. Of who? Beelzebub. Oh. Beelzebub. Good idea. The god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this injury. Wow. So he says, Go inquire of Beelzebub, whether I'm going to get better. Okay. Good. Ahaziah was the king of the northern uh, kingdom of, you know, it was part of the Holy Land, but he's inquiring of Beelzebub to try to find out whether he's going to recover from his disease or not. What happens in verse 3? But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, the Tishbite, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and say to them, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? (laughs) So you see what's happening? Like the message is, so God sort of tells Elijah that this ridiculous question is going to this ridiculous source that won't be helpful. And and so Elijah sends a message because Elijah is connected, you know, and he says, is it because there's no God in Israel that you're asking Beelzebub about this? And he adds this. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. Mm. So Elijah departed. And uh, so that's how he gave this. That's how he gave a message. So much more in that story would be great to read, but we'll leave it at that right now. Look at chapter three there in Second Kings. Um, Look at verse nine. So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom, and they marched on that roundabout route seven days. And there was no water for the army nor for the animals that followed them. And the king of Israel said, Alas, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. Hmm. But Jehoshaphat said... Now this is our very own Jehoshaphat. What does he say? Is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the oh, Lord by oh, him? See, he learned something. He says, wait, don't you have someone who can answer these questions? Don't you have a prophet of the Lord around here? Go on. 
So one of the servants of the king of Israel answered and said, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here, who poured water on the hands of Elijah. Mm. And Jehoshaphat said, The word of the Lord is with him. So they went down there, and they went to talk to him, and Elisha sent them away. He said, Go talk to the prophets of your father and your mother. And he said, No, no, I want to ask you. And so... Uh, Elisha said, well, it's only because of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, is here that I'll bother answering your question, because otherwise I wouldn't even look at you. But verse 15, look at what happens. But now bring me a musician. Then it happened, when the musician played, that the hand of the Lord came upon him. Ah, interesting. So this is a little glimpse, like he doesn't use an urim, but he says, go get a musician. When the musician's playing, <coughs> then boom, he gets his answer, and just read the first verse there, 16... Uh, and, and he said, thus says the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. And that's right. And so he, he tells him, here's your strategy. So he got that message when, he, when the music was playing. That was so interesting to me. Uh, and it goes on from there. That's right. Okay. Second uh, Kings 8. This is another weird one. There is no plot in Scripture that cannot be thickened by reading some other part of Scripture. Uh, 2 Kings 8, verse 7. Let's start there. This then, is Elisha the prophet again. Then Elisha went to Damascus, and Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, was sick. Mm. And it was told him, saying, The man of God has come here. And the king said to Hez Hazael, Nice. Take a present in your hand and go to meet the man of God and inquire of the Lord by him, saying, Shall I recover from this disease? Okay, here's a prophet. Dreams, prophets, the Urim. Three different ways of getting a message from the Lord. Okay, and so he took this big present and said, Shall I recover from this disease? Verse 10, listen to this. So this is the king of Syria and asking a question of an Israelite, Am I going to recover from this disease? So what does Elisha say? Elisha, the Israelite prophet said to him, Go, say to him, you shall certainly recover. However, the Lord has shown me that he will really die. Oh, wow, that's complicated. <laughs> tell him everything's fine. It's all good. <laughs> but why would you tell Hazael? But the Lord showed me he, he's going to die. Yeah. Um, very interesting story there. I'd love to read some more of that. Second Kings 22 is another interesting one. Partly because, quite unusually, the person consulted to give the word of the Lord is a woman. 2 Kings 22, let's start at verse 12. They've just heard the book of the law that it was lost for ages. They found the book of the law in the house of the Lord, and they're so amazed about this. And then the king, I would love to have my dear reader read all those proper nouns in verse 12, but maybe we'll skip to verse 13. Oh. He said to all these people... <laughs> <laughs> Go inquire of the Lord for me, for the people and for all Judah, concerning the words of this book that has been found. This is, this is the Old Testament. I mean, this is the Torah. You know, inquire of the Lord about the Torah, about the book that's found. Go on. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is aroused against us, because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. Concerning us. So there's a sense that that book was about them, even though they're 
many generations later than who the book was originally written for. It's about us. We haven't been obeying it, and now we're in trouble. So here you get to read some proper nouns. <laughs> so Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam, Achbor, Shaphan, and Aziah went to Huldah the prophetess. The all wife these of people, Hilkiah is a priest. You got all these people, and they go to a woman to get the answer. Huldah the prophetess. The wife of Shalom, the son of Tikvah, the son of Harhas, keeper of the wardrobe. She dwelt in Jerusalem in the second quarter. And they spoke with her. Then she said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel. See, tell the she's man, just speaking for the Lord. Thus says the Lord God of Israel. Tell the man who sent you to me. Thus says the Lord. Behold, I will bring calamity on this place and on its inhabitants. All the words of the book which the king of Judah has read. Yeah, because they'd been so bad. But, verse 18... But as for the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, in this manner you shall speak to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, concerning the words which you have heard, because your heart was tender, uh -huh. and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they would become a desolation and a curse, and you tore your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, says the Lord." Surely, therefore, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace, and your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I will bring on this place. Mm. So the inquiring was a good thing. And it's very interesting to me that there would be an inquiry about the word, about the law, you know? There'd be an inquiry about it. And also fascinating that it's Huldah the prophetess who says, thus says the Lord, and she gives the word of the Lord. And it's accurate and true. Um, just a few more, good friends. Now we're going to turn, 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 turn. Uh, let's go to Psalm 27. It's only one verse in there. Psalm is about in the middle of your Bible. Psalm 27, verse 4. I thought this was a nice little phrase in this context. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Yes, to inquire. And so this inquiring is an eternal thing. You know, this is something that's going to go on into eternity that we can inquire in the Lord's temple. Uh, turn to the right. I want to go to, to uh, through Isaiah to Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 42. There's way too much to read here. Um, <laughs> this is a, a wonderful story that I will recommend to your attention at some point. Uh, these people come to the to Jeremiah, and they Jeremiah says that whatever I tell you from the Lord, you have to do it. They said we're going to inquire the Lord, and he said whatever the Lord in verse four there, whatever the Lord tells you. I'll tell you, and I will keep nothing back from you. And they said to him, uh, The Lord be a true and faithful witness between us if we do not do according to all the things that the Lord God will send us, whether it's good or evil, you know, whatever it is, we're going to obey the... Do you think they're going to obey the voice of the Lord? We're going to obey the... You know, whatever you say, we're going to obey the voice of the Lord. So then after 10 days, the word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah... And he gathers all the people 
and he tells them not to be afraid of the king of Babylon and go ahead and live there and so on. But it will be bad if they go down to Egypt and uh, just reading down here. Okay, verse. let's read the beginning of 43 there. And he says, it'll be terrible if you go to Egypt and really good if you stay in Babylon. Now it happened when Jeremiah had stopped speaking to all the people, all the words of the Lord their God, for which the Lord their God had sent him to them. And remember that they all said, whatever you say, we're going to do it. Whatever it is, if it's good or bad, we're going to do it. Okay? That Azariah, the son of Hoshiah, Johanan, the son of Kareah, and all the proud men spoke, saying to Jeremiah, you speak falsely. <laughs> the Lord our God has not sent you to say, do not go to Egypt to dwell there. <laughs> That's right. So you're lying and we're not doing what you say. It's just magnificent. It's just a wonderful story. You know, it takes a whole chapter and a half or something to unfold. Uh, that's great fun. Turn to the right from Jeremiah. We'll go into Ezekiel. Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 20. I found this very interesting too, dear good and, good and patient friends. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, start at the beginning of chapter 20 there. This is Ezekiel talking. It came to pass in the seventh year, in the fifth month, on the tenth day of the month, that certain of the elders of Israel came to inquire of the Lord and sat before me. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, speak to the elders of Israel and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Have you come to inquire of me? As I live, says the Lord God, I will not be inquired of by you. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Okay, a little different. To, you know, David had a better experience. He would say, should I go into battle? He'd say, yes. Am I going to be successful? Yes. Or next time, oh, we'll go around the back in the mulberry trees when you hear the sound attack. Uh, here, the elders come, inquire of the Lord, and the Lord says to Ezekiel to tell them, are you here to inquire of me? I will not be inquired of by you. I'm not <laughs> dealing with <laughs> you Open people. for business. <laughs> That's right. And look at verses 30 and 31 in that same thing. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, are you defiling yourselves in the manner of your fathers and committing harlotry according to their abominations? For when you offer your gifts and make your sons pass through the fire, you defile yourselves with all your idols, even to this day. So shall I be inquired of by you. Is so shall I be inquired of by you, O house of Israel. As I live, says the Lord God, I will not be inquired of by you. There he says it again. <laughs> and see, it's because they're doing evil. He says that they're doing evil, so he is not going to be inquired of by them. And I think this sheds light on when Saul is asking and doesn't get an answer. It's because his, his heart is evil. He's trying to kill David. You know, he's, he's not with the Lord anymore. And that's why the inquiry doesn't work. So you see... There's something in these passages about the fact that it, it sort of depends, like how the thing works, depends on who you are, what you're asking, you know, why you're asking. So, you know, some people get an answer, some people get no answer, some people get the thing they want to hear, and then they say, 
your lie, you know, or, or some people get the thing that they don't want to hear and they say, you're speaking falsely and we're not going to do what you say. Um, <clears throat> oh, yeah, let's see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At the end of the Bible, uh, almost to the book of Revelation, I want to look at the epistle of Peter. It's, there's Peter and then John and then Revelation. And I want to go to 1 Peter 4, verse 11. Uh, it's interesting, interesting statement he makes there. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. Hmm. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Yeah. At the end of verse 10, it talked about the fact that as everyone has received the gift, so minister to each other. And so one of the functions that people can perform is to be the oracles of God for another person. It's kind of amazing that Peter actually makes that something that people can do for each other. Okay, I've, I've uh, you know, created more problems than I can solve in the remaining few minutes here. But um, first of all, my first thought is this. Um, the way Swedenborg describes that ephod, it's so many layers, you know? There's a, there's a tunic there's a, a, a ephod, there's a breastplate, there's the urim and thummim, the stones that are on there, and they're in these gold settings, and they have the names of the, the 12 tribes of Israel on them, one on each stone. And uh, let me show you a little graphic of what I think those are like for those of you who are... Do I have this the right way here? This way. Um, this is the way Swedenborg describes it, and I'll describe this for people getting the audio, that they're sort of four boxes, and over on the right, on the top, there's an oblong box that just says red in it. Swedenborg says those are red stones, and then below them are blue from red. The color of those stones is blue from red, which to me would be purple, you know, or that, that type of a blue. On the other side, at the top, is blue from white, and then on the outside is white from blue. So you can picture kind of a a bluish white. Isn't it true? It's just a bizarre little thing. But I think they actually color the ice for hockey when they're televising. They actually color it blue because blue looks whiter than white does when you, when you film it. The white ice looks sort of yellowish if you don't turn it blue. But if you turn it blue, it looks white. Anyway, it just comes to mind as the idea of a sort of a white from blue. You know, like blue can make something look white. And then a blue from white... So a more whitish blue than a, than a reddish blue or something. And that's what these are for. And he says the, the right-hand set, the red, and then the blue from the red are heavenly, and the left-hand set are spiritual, and the top are inner, and the bottom are outer. So these are a picture, and with the 12 tribes of Israel, they're a picture of everything, every different type of love, and every different type of truth. These are all kinds of uh, different types of love and different types of truth. And so Swedenborg says that when these lights would light up, they would light up in meaningful ways. Aaron had to have it over his heart. 
And Aaron, the high priest, was a picture of the Lord. The priesthood meant the Lord. And so the garments meant the sort of truth that was on the outside of the Lord. So the Urim and the Thummim and all those vestments correspond to the word. In fact, it's hard to find anything in Scripture that doesn't. And I had a realization this past week about that. This is going to sound like very strange algebra probably. But I've said a number of times in Bible study that the word is all about the word. The word is often talking about the word. I mean, what is the word talking about in all these passages we just read? It's about the word, right? All these stories are about us going to the word and trying to get answers. And sometimes we get an answer. Sometimes we don't. So, you know, and, and, uh, but it, all these stories are stories in the Word about the Word. And it came to me this week that the reason that the Word is all about the Word is that we're taught very clearly in Scripture that the Word is entirely about the Lord. Jesus says in Luke 24 that everything in the Old Testament, you know, the whole thing is about Him. Uh, so if the whole of the Word is about the Lord then the word is entirely about the Lord and the Lord is the word. Is that a syllogism? I don't know. If the Lord is the word and the word is all about the Lord, then the word must also also be all about the word. It's a strange thing, but I think it is, you know, so many of these stories are about the word. And so these stories of going to someone, why do you have to go to someone else? Why couldn't anybody just grab this thing or why didn't you make them you know, a little home kit so everybody would have their own Urim and Thummim could ask questions, get answers, you know, get guidance for their life. Why do you have to go to the high priest? Well, the high priest means that which is like the presence of the Lord in us. You know, you, you notice even the kings have to go. David didn't have that thing. You know, he had to go to the high priest to ask the question and to get the answer. So it's a picture of prayer, isn't it? That, that when you go, you turn to the Lord and you ask this question. And the precious stones, uh, Swedenborg says a number of times that all so, there are all sorts of stories in Scripture about precious stones, and they always have to do with the truths in the literal meaning of Scripture because they light up. They don't, not every truth lights up for you every time you sit down and read but they're capable of it, aren't they? Have you read scripture and sometimes, oh, I saw some, you know, like I saw, I saw the Lord's love in there, or I, I saw a truth in there, I, I saw something. It said that that breastplate was for the judgment, which is so interesting, that some of the truth that lights up is like, I have a problem, you know? You remember that king who didn't want to hear it. <laughs> he always says bad, bad things about me. <laughs> I, I don't want to listen to him. Uh, but... If we're willing, we should listen to that because it's got a good message for us to, to straighten us out. Um, and so those verses, the verses of Scripture are capable of lighting up. And it's as if there's sort of four categories of uh, there's verses about love and then there's verses about the truth that comes from love. And then uh, there's verses about this sort of more spiritual truth and 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 the the knowledge that comes from that. Um, uh, if Scripture was merely literal, then it really would be terrible. 
that we used to have a device that would give us answers from the Lord, and we lost it. How awful is that? <laughs> well, I had, I've got it around here somewhere. You know, I don't know where it is. And let's say even if we found it, would we have a clue how to use it? You know, let's say somebody else, big news, somebody unearthed the Urim and the Thummim. Great. Okay, and I saw a light, but I don't, it's like that blue one. I, I don't know what that means. You know? <laughs> I don't know what's happening. As Swedenborg says that when the lights were lighting up, it would also be attended, like the high priest would hear a, would hear, hear a voice, like something would be spoken of, which makes sense how you get whole sentences out. You know, they'd say, hey, go here, or the mulberry trees, or, you know, you get something quite specific out of it. Then it's important also to talk about the type of questions. So uh, for, let's talk a little bit, first of all, about the type of person we need to be. Um, we really need to be moving in a good direction in our lives. Those kings who were against the Lord, they, you know, it didn't, it didn't go well with that question and answer thing. didn't work out real well for them, right? So who you are, the quality of heart and mind that you bring to it makes a big difference. The encouraging thing there, you know, that might be discouraging, but the encouraging thing there is that, I don't know what your experience is, good friends, I feel like some moments I can be a terrible person and then, you know, an hour later I can, I can be an okay person. Uh, like, just wait until you're in a better state or something. You know, you'll get, a, you'll get a better answer. The thing that you're asking will be pure. It'll be from the Lord flowing into you. And those things can get answered and will get well answered. All those questions about battles are questions about fighting evils. And the word is great. And the word will tell you, if you really want to fight evil, it'll tell you, you're going to win. You know, you're going to beat them. You know, because the, the word can tell you, can give you the truth you need to beat that evil. And so that's why so many of those messages that have to do with seemingly with earthly warfare are actually about spiritual warfare and they get a good answer. Uh, if scripture was just to be taken literally, then we'd have to say we had a device that would tell us answers and we lost it. But if scripture, scripture has deeper layers and they're about scripture itself, then the good news is that we have, this is the, you know, we, we don't need the, the thing with the stones. That was just a stand in for this thing that we have. We, we have something that can answer questions, but we're still left with the same problem we'd have if we managed to dig the 12 stones out of the dirt, you know, and we found the thing, and we made the ephod and all the stuff. Would we know how to use it? Do we know how to use this? Um, one piece of advice, friends, is that if you want to use it to win the lottery or to know who's going to win the Super Bowl or a horse race or something like that, it's probably not the right question, right? You know, it's an, it's an okay question, but it's not really... Everything in Scripture is actually spiritual. So if we ask it spiritual questions, questions like, who are you, Lord? Do you care about me? What is evil? What is good? What do I do about evil? What is life after death? How do I get ready for that? Those are spiritual questions. 
And when we're in a good state and we're honestly asking, not like those kings who didn't want to hear it, but when we actually want to know the answer, it can tell us, okay, here's something. You know, you can lay that aside. I'll help you. I'll lead you from the land of Egypt out and, you know, through the through the wilderness into the Holy Land. Uh, it will help us. So in conclusion, the Old Testament high priest we read in Scripture had a method of posing questions and getting specific answers and help. Uh, the Word is also capable of answering our questions. And I just want to close with this little thought, good friends. Um, have you ever heard the phrase, if you're familiar with Scripture, have you heard the phrase, Jesus answered and said? Have you heard that? It says it 83 times in the New Testament. Jesus answered and said, Jesus answered and said, Jesus answered and said, Jesus answered and said. Answering, 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 answering. He's, he's there. He is the Word. He's able to answer our questions. It's, I, I'm not saying it's going to be an easy thing or we'll always understand. There's some confusing things in there because sometimes Elijah says, he'll be fine. Actually, he's going to die. You know? <laughs> so you know, we don't always get a straight answer. But I think if we come to the text in humility, uh, seeking the Lord, uh, it is capable. We have something much better than that set of stones, something that that set of stones was just pointing to. The Lord can come to us uh, through all these things, these forms of truth, these dreams, uh, this, the prophets and the Urim and the Thummim. Thank you, good friends. Shall we close with a prayer? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we spend so much of our lives not really knowing what's going on, what we're supposed to be doing, what our next step should be, where you are, how to find you. We have a lot of questions, Lord. Please help us. Help to prepare us, create our hearts and minds into a form where we can hear your answers, where we're willing to hear them, where we're willing to follow them. Thank you, Lord. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's keep on repenting, friends, so we can get better answers. <laughs>